0: But some of the things that really pissed me off, even even before I I stopped drinking, right? So, were things that he would say was was, was like, um, you have to live in a white man world, and I hated that. I hated that. I I I just I got so angry when he said that. When like you know, and I said why why do I have you know why why can't I change it?
1: Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. back to the Forgotten Corner podcast. We acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered their land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pakani, Stony Nakoda, Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux, and the Soto bands of the Ojibwa people. We also honor and acknowledge that we are on the Métis Nation within Region 3. The Forgotten Corner is proud members of the Harbinger Media Network, and if you like this podcast and other podcasts like it, go over to the link that we're going to share in the show notes and and check out some other podcasts. There's some really great ones out there. My name is Scott Schmidt. I am your co-host. I am here alongside my good friend and co-host, Jeremy Appel, Mr. Appel. How are you, buddy?
2: How are you? Um well uh doing considering i'm in calgary not medicine had uh doing pretty good yeah yeah i don't know
1: if we should we because now we're uh we're not officially like only forgotten corner crepes moe's in ontario right now so how should we have done a couple of different land acknowledgements i don't know you all read one and then you read one for calgary
2: well, I was just reading uh before we started recording, but I that wasn't a dig at Medicine Hat. Um, but uh, <laughs> why not? So, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> uh, I, I was ta- I was referring to the COVID case, camera. I was just reading, did you read uh Carrie Tate's piece in the Globe and Mail from this morning?
1: No, I haven't. Uh, um, oh, yeah,
2: she uh she talks to Catherine Wilson, uh, oh, nice. from the public yeah, school
1: division. I and, actually uh, get uh, um well, I don't want to out her whatever as being a fan or a night somebody that likes me because <laughs> I don't want to ruin her reputation in town here. But I get really nice emails from her from time to kind of time. So oh there nice. It. Um, but yeah, uh medicine hats uh a mess. Um this is actually the first episode that we've recorded this summer that's gonna come out um immediately. Like we're I was talking to Mo this morning and like we're recording today, and this is next week's episode. So we're actually on track right now so we can talk about current events and it won't be confusing like it's been all summer but point i'm saying here is that uh i think medicine hat as of friday night which was last night here so like the 20 whatever of the 20th was 523 cases which was actually a a drop of three active I think we went up 29 down 32 or something like that which was the first decrease in in several days but obviously one a drop of free is like nothing to uh do a dance about or anything like that but it's a fucking nightmare here like we have uh we have a hospital outbreak um and doctors are getting it so like that's like doc we have enough problems not having enough doctors now we've got them isolating at home they can't you know what i mean so like this is that's bad in and of itself No matter where you go, you're still looked at like you're a dipshit if you wear a mask. So um, if you wore a mask at any point in the last 19 months and you're not wearing one in medicine hat today, I don't know what your mindset is because uh, it's out there pretty bad right now. We don't know how many like uh, a local restaurant has a savage outbreak anyway. So
2: which restaurant?
1: Uh, Ralph Steakhouse.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. I knew that. I yeah. I always liked their uh their beef on bun. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's a good bread. I mean, it's a super popular place. Yeah. Go figure, right? And uh, there's also uh, an, uh, there was also I don't want to know. I, I don't think an outbreak, but certainly cases or uh, a case at Canada Post. Uh, which I mean I don't know. Like I I, I think they've sort of changed the science on like how much it transfers on stuff you touch right like but I think still like the idea of somebody that has COVID just like shooting mail into like 700 slots then going home seems like that's could be problematic to me but I'm no uh I'm no airborne you know I'm I'm not an expert on this shit but nonetheless so medicine has a mess But that's okay um it's been a shock that it wasn't a mess already does that make sense like the fact yeah. that medicine hat was avoiding being the biggest like stain of this whole problem on the province was shocking to me like to me everybody was bragging about why we didn't have cases and to honest to god to me it was i was all i could think of was like i guess nobody comes to medicine hat like covid doesn't even want to come here that's how like lame this town is right but like, because if anyone's going to have outbreaks when you shouldn't have outbreaks, it's yeah. us, which is what's happening right now. Like, of course, it's
2: medicine hat. like, yeah, I, exactly. I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. Um, Cause right. I mean, when I was living there, the case count was always low, um, super low, like comparative yeah.
1: to every other uh, major center in this province, super low.
2: Like when, when I moved to Calgary last year, um I started to be a lot more uh, cautious um, COVID-wise than I was in medicine. But I mean, that's why it gets so bad, right? Because it's like, oh, we we, we only have, you know, a few dozen cases. Like, who cares? We had it lucky. We had it lucky. Like, last
1: summer when, like, when things kind of opened up a bit again, you could actually kind of roam around and do some things. Like, I was able to see my parents and stuff like that back then because – I mean, we, we still kept smart about it and you wore masks inside and stuff, but I was able to do things that I wouldn't have done in Calgary. Cause like in medicine hat, it was like two cases at all times, but anyway, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds now. So, uh, I think we're like, we have like more than half of what Edmonton has <clears throat> and Edmonton is legitimately 20 times the size of, of medicine hat.
2: Legit. Yeah, but also uh the, the only um the only municipality with more cases per capita i believe um, like bamf or something is, is bamf and bamf reached covid zero um not that long ago i mean they didn't reach covid zero because they didn't like
1: when i lived in bamf there was four thousand locals i think was what the total yeah, was. like it's like not 5, a lot 000. right like i don't think it takes much to get up there Um, anyway, let's get on with our show because we have a really great show today. We don't have to talk about COVID and all the tire fire shit that's out there. Although we are going to talk about some of the things that are out there that are not, uh, not very awesome to face right now, but, um, something that our country needs to face in a way that we've never faced before. Um, and so I think we're going to get right into, uh, today's show. You ready to go, bud? Let's do it. Yeah, let's go. David Restoul is the Indigenous Student Support Specialist at Medicine Hat College, who came to the Forgotten Corner in 2016 from his home province of Ontario. David is an Anishinaabe Ojibwe of the Dokis First Nation in Ontario. As we'll discuss in depth today, David grew up colonized and fully separated from his heritage. But he spent the last 15 years undoing what was forced into his family generations before he was even born. His grandparents attended residential schools, and by the time he was born, there was no one to share his culture and history with him. As a knowledge keeper and as a grandparent himself, future generations in David's family won't have to grow up that same way. David, welcome to the Forgotten Corner.
0: morning, Ani, bonjour. Um, I like to do introductions introduction in my language, Uh, um, so Ani, bonjour. Medicine Hat G. So it simply translated that says uh, hello and greetings my name is David or my name is Eagle Sispar. I'm uh, Eagle Clan I come from Kikendot Island which is Doki's First nation in Ontario and I reside in Medicine Hat now so that's kind of a literal translation. And then I always add after that that my income tax name is David Restool
1: your income tax name i love it um so you sorry. uh i no it's okay i i laugh when you say that your your income tax name is david rastoul but that's honestly like sort of the tragedy that is kind of like starts the story of all of this right that this is even yeah. even something like does so i guess my first question would be uh does it something that do you, are you bothered when you hear that name now that no. you sort of understand how it came about
0: no i uh, i mean i'm i guess i'm disappointed that uh because i know like i know the history of you know residential schools they made them take uh, names uh they called them christian names uh david was you know was a christian name in the bible you know david king david uh but my grandfather my mishomas on my mom's side actually carries that so i'm very proud to carry David, but um, it is kind of, you know, it's kind of a sad thing to me that that we, were, we, we we didn't have our spirit names, you know, I didn't get my spirit name until I was 32 years old, no, 33, 30, 33 or 34 actually when I was in Sundance, when I was in ceremony uh, because they came and asked me. It was kind of embarrassing to me because I didn't, I didn't know anything about the, the culture, right? So I walked up to go do a part of the ceremony and he asked me, "What's your name?" And I said, "David." And he said, "No, no. What's your name?" And I didn't, you know, I didn't even comprehend it. And the elder, um, he kind of chuckled and he says, "It's okay." He says, "Go, go back and 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 I'll get someone to." So he got my my Sundance chief to go and smoke pipe to uh, to to retrieve my spirit name. So um, because I was never given it on birth, that's what we we normally would have, right? So my spirit name was was not um connected so a lot of that stuff identity is is a big part of um our culture so I w- I was walking around you know lost until then which my story you know talks about you know when I was walking around lost because because I wasn't in, lost in addictions lost in um in alcoholism for for years right so uh before ever going back to the culture so
1: i definitely want to hear that whole story and i i guess before we do that i'll go go ahead jeremy
2: is is that uh is that smudge you have going on there oh
0: yes (laughs) i um because i was scrambled by my uh, my internet issue that we had or that i had here and my my partner went and unplugged it and plugged it back in because it wasn't it was there, but it wasn't connecting to the internet. So it was giving me a uh, big, I was getting all stressed out. And then, so then I, I always liked smudge um, to center myself, you know, to, to put myself in balance again. So yeah. yeah I, and, and when I, I start off things, I, I like to do that too. Like, so if I was, if this was my, you know, uh, podcast or my circle or whatever, I would always start out with smudge and, and, and an opening um, invocation kind of prayer, you know, like so that's normally what I would start when, if I was running this, but this is a, you know, you guys, this is your thing. So.
2: I yeah, I, it, sorry.
0: Yeah. I just put it on. Like I just lit it for myself to balance myself. Cause I was like, you know, getting all uh, anxious trying to get the internet going. Cause I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> Cause it never, it never does. I literally come into my, this is my at home at home office. And we're actually supposed to be, we're at back at the college now, but now there's masks like that whole thing with uh, the COVID cases right so so I don't know what's happening I know we're still supposed to be there so I I was off the last couple days because I went to ceremony but um well not off I was going to ceremony as part of my job but um so yeah I, I I just put that on to center myself and I and and while I'm speaking that helps me as well uh a lot of times I hold my Eagle feather, but it's in my, my trailer. So <laughs> I have a, a number of Eagle feathers and uh, in my bundle and it's in my trailer outside. So I just, I didn't rush around to get that too. So,
1: well, that's, I'm glad that you were able to get it all sorted. Now you brought up your job, which is exactly the question I wanted to start with before we get into your whole story. Okay. Um, uh, student Indigenous student support specialist at the Medicine Hat College can you just quickly give us uh, what is exactly that job?
0: Sure um, well it's a really fancy name and uh, but it's uh, basically student supports uh, for the Indigenous students so it's not necessarily um, I don't do all, all of the positions and support so there's advising there's um, um counselling there's uh the uh uh what's the other one's uh recruitment so there's a bunch of different things that are under uh uh, kind of our 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 supports right so for students so there's a number of things that that happen financially stuff like that so basically what i what i do for the indigenous students and other students is if they if they're wanting to learn about the culture so but for the Indigenous students, I'm there for, for like a kind of like a connection. So uh, um, a person that they look like they can, you know, they can see themselves at the college as well as um, uh, a warm connection to all those other services. So basically what I do is I uh, I do know some of those things, but I'm not like I'm not a jack of all of those trades. Right. So, <laughs> so what I do is I just I just help them connect, you know, if they need if they're like having a liaison
1: a kind of thing. Yeah.
0: kind, of. yeah. And, but, but the, the biggest part of my job I find is lifting them up, like, you know, and supporting them in a, in a sense of, um, um, emotional and, you know, like, um, moral support like that. So they come in a lot to talk to me because they're having struggles, uh, because there's a lot of different barriers for, for indigenous students. So that's one of my main issues is to make sure our main jobs to make sure that the students, are are having help with those barriers. So that's one of the things we're ongoing with the college is trying to figure out how do we how do we uh, get those barriers uh, lifted or you know at least uh, aided so that students can get past these barriers. Because myself going through college, uh, there was a lot of a lot of different barriers that you know that we run into. Um, things are not uh, offered up for us. way uh caucasians you know like i I talked to one of my friends who's caucasian he he gets uh he he got offered um academic help uh, in from the uh um what do they call it the um access accessibilities okay so like they can get you know a computer that reads to you stuff like that they they got offered that and for us as Indigenous students, we have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and then we're always told, no, that's not part of this, you know, and you don't need that. All these different things that we come up against because uh, we're Indigenous. And my, my, my white friend, you know, he said, he said, uh, well, they kept on offering it to me, even though I told him, no, I don't want this, you know, because he, he had some pride and he was like, no, I want to do it on my own. And I said, we do, like our guys do that. Our, our people do that as well. They want to, you know, I want to do it that's on my own. But they might actually need it, but they're always told, no, you don't need this, no, you don't need this, you know, like and and there's a, a number of different barriers. And we never get offered something ahead, you know. So yeah. It's weird to me, like the way things work. Do, and that's kind of that privilege piece, I think.
1: Are you getting, are you finding that the college itself is attentive to that at this point like are you finding that you're getting well received in what you're pushing for and try are they helping to try to bring those barriers barriers down that may exist are yeah, trying yeah. To?
0: like they, yeah trying to but it's a system right so it's a uh, systematic change is very very difficult and um um medicine hat when i came here like we don't have an indigenous center so we don't uh when i went to college years ago in Ontario, uh, in North Bay, they had a First People's Center. So that's like um, like our indigenous center that's being built now for the college here. But that's been in the works for a while, um, before I came, because I came onto the college about two years ago, uh, joined the college. Um, but um, it's beautiful that it's coming into place, but like there was, so it's, you know, a little bit behind the times on, getting to those things, but I know there's not a huge indigenous population that attends this college. Now, is that, is that why? I don't
2: know. Oh, I don't hear you. How many indigenous students are there at Medicine College? Uh, Right now, I think there's
0: 98. It hovers around 100. So sometimes it's a little over 100. I think just before uh, COVID hit, we were, we were actually at 121 or something like that. So it's down a little bit since then. But a number of my students the, the the self-declared because some people don't don't declare that's a whole other issue to get into but uh because um the metis are always told you don't know, to hide it you don't want to show that you're indigenous because you get put in a different pile of you know documents you know here on the don't mind never mind pile you know so they so they don't, you never announce it. And I didn't have a choice because I have the skin, but I mean, <laughs> so like my brother is a little bit fairer complexion and he might've had an easier time. I don't know. Like, but I know my daughters are both uh, very, very fair complexion. And one of my, young, my youngest daughter always talks about it with her friends. Cause when they start saying something, she speaks up right away and says, I'm indigenous. She says, I'm one of the ones that, you know, you, you don't see and I don't get all of the flack, but she says, I'm, I'm indigenous, you know, like I'm Ojibwe. So a lot of our people don't declare. So that's, that's an issue too. There's probably more than a, a hundred. Um, and usually when I find like when I go into the classes, like so early um, between end of September and, and December, usually have our numbers come up a little bit. Because if I go into the classes and talk and get to meet some of them, and then, then some of them are putting up their hand saying I'm I'm indigenous too, you know, so or their friends in the class they start meeting. And I always tell every Indigenous person that I talk to that comes in the like students, I tell them, if you have friends that aren't self-declared, please declare, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing negative that's gonna come from it, you know. And so I, I try and encourage them so that we have the the higher numbers so that it shows on the records. Cause if we don't show that on the records, you know, like <laughs> the way the western world works is everything's in stats right so um so if we don't show that that we have a higher number of students then they're gonna say well there's no students coming here that are indigenous you know like so that's one of the issues (laughs) right i know that went off the rails a little bit there no no
1: no you're good Uh, you're good now i just want to get into your story some uh because um we talked about it right off the sh- off the show, right You grew up colonized and I want to talk about that with the listeners because mm-hmm. I-, I would think even uh, those of us that think we understand what that means probably don't entirely grasp um, everything that that actually means. And I want you to kind of try to go back and just talk about your childhood a little bit because I'm my guess is by the time you were born, you probably grew up thinking that that was just the normal life and that you weren't missing out on anything and that kind of thing. So can you just sort of take us back a little bit and just sort of talk about what, what does growing up colonized really, really mean?
0: Uh, for myself, uh, cause well, and that's, that's kind of what you're getting at, you know, like you have somebody that's decolonizing. So uh, for myself, like reflecting back, um on my childhood um i grew up catholic so like everything was <laughs> everything was church you know we had to go to church on sundays uh, my dad didn't go that much but my we always had to go um we were in catholic school and uh french catholic which was even harder uh, we, we didn't speak french in the house but my dad uh, had a cousin that was going to school or that his dad is french so my dad thought it'd be, give us a leg up to be bilingual. So he, he said, you want to go to school with your cousin Raymond and Ron? And me and my brother are like, yeah, because we're just little, eh? like uh, kindergarten and pre-kindergarten. And so we're like, yeah. And uh, so we go there the first day. He said, he told he told me this later on. The first day we came back with our heads down, like totally devastated. And so we're walking back to the house from the bus and he says, What's wrong, boys? And and both of us said, nobody speaks English there. And so that's another language barrier. <laughs> so I, I kind of I think it it gets me to to relate to the way my grandmother was, probably when she went to residential school, because she was speaking a language, right? So when she went to residential school, she probably had that same thing as, as, and I'm not saying that I went through anything as bad as my grandmother, but going to the French school, um, we got in trouble all the time for speaking English. <laughs> so we were, you know, we were, uh, we didn't get the strap or anything for that, but we were always scolded, you know, like we were always like, uh, uh, well, even to this day, uh, I used to hate my name, David, because when you say it in French as David, and it was always I was always in trouble, eh? So, so when I hear like French, like someone in French say David, it, it gives me that little feeling of like getting scolded in, in, in grade school, right? So, but so I went to French Catholic school. We had to go to church. We had to go to communion, uh, first communion, you know, all that stuff, right up to confirmation. Um, and uh, a regular day was, you know, I went went to school, went home, um, had to do my homework. Um, we were norm- like normal, I think, I think like any normal non-Indigenous family. So I didn't have any, you know, we didn't do any prayers with, uh, with, with, with any of our medicines. Um, later on, when I learned, you know, it's kind of hard, it's kind of hard to do it chronologically with, indigenous like we tell we always tell stories in circles right so (laughs) it always goes in circles back but um so when I first started to learn a little bit after so later on in life this one um very young elder he was an elder uh an elder and senior is kind of two different things in our in our ways so an elder is someone who 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 is well versed in the in and in, in in the culture and the language, uh, living off the land, walking basically walking the red road we call it. So they're not drinking, they're not you know doing drugs. Uh, they've never, or they have in the past, but changed their ways, right? So, um, but they're walking in the good life. So following all of our teachings and following our 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 ways of being and our our traditional um, protocols. So every morning in, in our, in our, our ways, we would have a smudge, we would have a song. Uh, we would, you know, put down our tobacco in the morning. So we do our prayers, our morning ceremony personally. So just our own ceremony. Then there's different ceremonies that you would do periodically. So there was, there might be a feast, um, to feast all your bundle. I don't have my bundle with me. It's usually, I usually put it up here, but I do have some sage drying up here and, um, but yeah, so those kind of things, um, I didn't grow up with them. So, but this this young elder, he was younger, almost. I think he was younger than me. But he would always lived with his grandparents, so he oh, had all the teachings. Very very young. So, I remember just in th- being enthralled by listening to this this young man. He's younger than me, and he said, he said, wait wait wait. When I introduced myself, I said, I'm I don't know any of my culture, you know, and I didn't know don't know anything about being indigenous and uh, he said wait 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 he says let's have a chat here and it was a youth drum circle that i went to help out with because i was newly um sober like newly not drinking and stuff so i went to help out um and he put the drumsticks on the big drum and like a pie shape. so he says so this this divide this in half he says so you're saying that you're you grew up non-indigenous he says, so you grew up white. So he said, that might be half of it. I was like, really? He goes, "Goes, yeah. He says, you, did your dad ever teach you how to hunt or how to orient yourself in the bush? Yeah. He told me where, like, where the moss grows on the trees, you know, watch, uh, pay attention to what you're doing while you're walking. So I always pay attention to a crooked tree, you know, a rock that I may pass by. That's a big boulder. Some like always pay attention to landmarks as I'm walking, so that you you remember where you're going, so that if you see that again, you you know that you're looping around and you're losing your way. I said yeah. So he says, well, that's one piece. And he taught you to hunt. When he taught you to hunt, he says, how how did he teach you to hunt? So what's some things that you learned? I said, well, I learned how you know how to hunt them. He says, did he tell you how many to take? I said, yeah, only what we need. He said, that's a teaching. He says you don't want to take too much because it's going to go bad and it's going to waste. And so, then you fish? You know, did you fish traditionally? I said, yeah, I learned how to spear. So our traditional ways are not just the the uh, ceremony; they're not just the you know the the prayers and the language, but th- those are all interconnected. But he showed me that he said I had like a quarter maybe of the of the whole pie already that comes through. Um, I guess resilience is what they would call it. So it comes through the generations regardless of being colonized. So my dad was colonized. Uh, My my grandmother decided not to teach my dad and all my aunts and uncles not to teach them the language because she had some really brutal stuff to get her to stop uh, speaking the language in residential school. I don't know, we never heard her stories. She never told them Um, and she passed away before the big settlements and all that. But, uh, but she passed away at 94, still practicing Catholic. um, um, But very proud of, we had one, I had one cousin that was a, a traditional dancer and she had pictures of him everywhere. And so she was very proud that some of us were coming back to that, even though she was not brave enough to go back to that either. Um, so yeah, coming back around to to growing up, I didn't get those things. I didn't get the. We had a fireplace. We grew up with a fireplace, so just like n- a lot of normal homes. Um, so I I learned the fire, but I never learned that with that fire I could have offered my tobacco in the morning in that fire. So that's one of our ways that we offer, uh, is to put it in the fire, and it would go up, you know, with the smoke to the crater, and. Um, the other way is that we do it is we might put it on the land on the western side of a tree, we might put it in the water, we might uh, let it go in the wind if it's blowing wind on a certain morning. Um, so there's a, a lot of things that I didn't learn, uh, but I grew up, you know, um, shopping like everyone else. Um, I went to went to school and, and there was not very many of us that were indigenous in my schools. There was four of us like that I knew of. And then later on, I think seven and eight, there was a couple other Indigenous. uh, They were from uh, Six Nations that I met. And then we moved uh, below um, a family that the mom was from Six Nations and the dad was from Finland. And that was a very volatile. uh, We've seen a lot of fights and stuff happen with that family. But the boys were about our age. So we, we we grew up. And they, they were colonized as well, you know. Those boys are actually even worse than my... Their dad uh, was Finland descent, and he said he never wanted them to take those cards. So he never wanted them to be, have a First Nations card because he said, I don't want my boys to uh, be looking for handouts like some poor beggar. So those kind of things happen in, within their family, right? So...
2: Okay.
1: Oh, <clears throat> Sorry, David. I just want to ask you a question um, because when we've talked before and I, I feel like we're going to talk about today too, like alcoholism and alcohol has really sort of played a big role in your life and in your family's life. And I just want to, can you talk about that a little bit, just in wh- how that relates to colonization? Because um, it's, it, you've, you talk about the, like almost like they're one in the same, it seems when we, we chat, right? Like the being like being colonized is almost like having this that's a part of it right yeah. um it was already a part of your parents lives when you were growing up i assume and and you got into it pretty young um so can you just talk about that aspect of it because i find that uh sort of fascinatingly tragic i guess is the yeah way to put it
0: well i and and i've i did some schooling uh as an Indigenous um, Indigenous wellness and and wellness and addictions prevention, so it's basically mental health and addictions, but with an Indigenous uh, frame around it. So we we learned how to how to work with the culture, work with elders, and use culture as treatment. So I have a background, you know, knowing some of that, um, and that's I, I think that's where I learned quite a bit about the intergenerational stuff that. And I really got to understand where that connects, you know. So, so what happens uh, in like in my in my thoughts and how I how I put it together in my life is that uh, is that there's there's a lot of trauma that came from the, the the residential schools, and that intergenerational trauma that they talk about is uh, blood memory. So that comes, you know, my my grandmother, you know, gave birth to my dad. So he had that inside of him blood memory of what happened to her, even though we didn't know. Like I didn't, like I said, I never heard any of the stories of my grandmother. But they're in, in in our beliefs, they're they're in blood memory as well as spirit memory. Um so by the time it gets to me, you know, I'm the second generation out. And my dad, I don't know if my dad's alcoholic. I don't think so. Um, my grandfather was for sure my dad's oldest brother was for sure so those are two examples that we know for sure because they could not they, they were like me they couldn't stop once they started right so and what happened with that what the reason that they're in intertwined for me is that intergenerational trauma as soon as because I didn't have anything major my dad never beat me up as a kid you know I wasn't thrown down the stairs I wasn't and I heard a lot of my friends that you know that suffer you know Uh, suffered some you know childhood stuff I never got sexually molested I never you know had any of those things happen to me so the trauma that I that I was holding inside of me was not from me it was previous generations but as soon as I took that alcohol it was like oh it was like to the tips of my fingers to the tips of my toes I felt like wow you know I've arrived I've been looking for this and I was only 13 when I took that first drink and uh, the first drink that I took, my, my cousin had stole it from his dad who bought 60 pounders all the time and 60, like 66ers of um, rye or whatever. The, the classy stuff, five star, <laughs> not classy, but uh, the cheapest stuff, right? So like, right? Uh, but he stole some from his dad's because his dad drank all the time. My dad didn't drink all the time, but he did have a lot of, you know, booze my dad had like a cabinet where he kept everything. And, uh, so my, I know like in my, in my mind, I don't think he's an alcoholic because my dad can keep booze on hand. When I was drinking, I couldn't keep nothing on hand. It was all gone on the binge that I took. Right. So, so for me, um, it was very difficult, uh, learning about that intergenerational stuff you know it was it was really hard to hear that you know to know that my grandmother went through those atrocities that happened you know and uh but that that trauma is what uh it set me off and running as soon as i took a drink you know like so so i didn't have any control over that i think i was born i was one of the ones that you say are born that way right like because of that trauma that preceded me because i didn't have any major trauma in my life i grew up like a normal catholic upbringing right so
1: uh normal catholic upbringing like you i mean honestly like (laughs) because as you talk like you this real tragedy here i guess i I hate that word but it's really the, the word that fits like you you're the success story of this like that's what's so disgusting about what what was happening with these residential schools was that you being born into a normal catholic upbringing was exactly what they were hoping to accomplish Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so like you're talking as you talk about this intergenerational traumas that carry over and 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 just these, these lives of, of dealing with ways to escape that, like anyone else, like we all, right? We've had plenty of podcasts here about uh, drug addiction and and how, like, I don't know an adult that doesn't take a drug of some kind and these kinds of yeah. things, right? Yeah. So you get, you get all this escapism and that's what, this was the success, like, hooray. This yeah. is what we were hoping to do was to yeah. get it so far out of your grandmother that by the time you're born it's normal to you sorry i just anyways go ahead
0: oh no and that's true like when when i and when i when i started to you know um get into my uh, you know my balance you know started to go back to ceremony and 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 decolonize so basically unwinding right um it was really sad to me because, and, and then I started pu- putting the pieces together that my dad was completely colonized because I had some stuff said to me a lot of times growing up uh, from my dad. And I have no, you know, I don't blame him, you know, because th- th- this is, it's something that, you know, is so ingrained that he had no idea, right? So my dad's a retired, very successful retired uh, Correctional officer. He went started as a CO at a young offender jail, and went up to. He only had two bosses above him in Sudbury, right? So he he, he retired as a supervisor that was near the top, right? So he came from the bottom, and and went all the way to the top. But some of the things that really pissed me off when I even even before I I stopped drinking, right? So were things that he would say was was, was like. Um, You have to live in a white man world and i hated that i hated that i i I just i got so angry when he said that when like you know and i said why why do i have you know why why can't i change it you know like so this and the way things are happening now you know with indigenizing um i don't even like that word but that's being used by everyone uh It's softening the decolonize word, because decolonizing means that we were here first. Indigenizing sounds like the university or the system was here first, and it wasn't. You know, Canada was born on on my home territory called Turtle Island, you know, and U.S. was born here, and we were already here, you know, so so for me, it's like so that kind of thing really upsets my dad when I when I don't. I don't want to stand for the national anthem. (laughs) My dad gets really pissed off. My dad's uh, uh, what they call neo-colonialism. He's become the colonizer, you know. Which he's 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 not as he's not as strict anymore with that because he's come to some ceremony that I've gone to and and supported me. So I've 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 enabled some of the growth for him as well, I think. And it's not that you know I don't think I don't think any less of him. He was, I always looked up to my dad, you know, like in the, the, probably the biggest moment in my own self-esteem was when uh, my dad shared with an elder that he looked up to me. He said, it's not every day that your son becomes your role model so I was like wow you know like it still comes up for me when I talk about it but um to hear my dad say that you know like I always strive to be like my dad and he said he looked at me as this role model you know like I was like whoa you know that's something that uh, really brought my my self-esteem up you know and I used to be ashamed of crying you know like today I don't you know, I, i don't hide it you know like i'll cry in front of anybody um i do blanket exercises for the college and uh if i get called because i'm registered with uh, the chiro's blanket exercise uh training i've done that um so i'm one of the medicine hat contacts so if if they do require a blanket exercise in this area i'll be one of the ones called out to go and help uh so what that does is runs people through, you know, uh, the last uh, 200 years of our shared history. So it's not, you know, it's not Canadian history. It's our shared history. Um, can- and it talks about where Canada was born and all that, right? So, um, but anyways, uh, the, the the greatest part of, of all this, you know, of all this, like you said, I'm a success story in that sense. And then also uh, for myself, I'm a success success story and in, in, in decolonizing and going towards bringing the cult, bringing the culture back, right? So I don't you, have, I was just going to say, I don't have the language. I'm trying to learn it, relearn it. Um, I never had it uh, growing up and i find it really difficult because i already you know i i speak english and french you know i read and write english and french i don't use french very much anymore uh that was a big hatred point for me (laughs) i resented going to that school sure i I resented the catholic church for a long time uh and um so that you know a lot of that stuff in my life you know Uh, a normal Catholic upbringing like it that doesn't even fit together you know like I like when you notice when you notice that because for me like a lot of the things that I learned um, growing up contradicted and I always pointed it out to my dad I always like he he'd make me go to church and stuff and I'd say well the stuff they're saying is different than what they're doing and he said I was just little he says I was like six or between six and eight when i started challenging they're saying this stuff in the bible but they're doing the opposite and they're going to confession and thinking that you know that's okay and i was telling them they're not doing what they're saying so you know they're contradicting what they're saying in the bible you know they're leaving the church and beating their kids and wife in the in the freaking parking lot you know like those kind of like i noticed you know <laughs> So I had those eyes already to notice those things. And that's what my elders always talk to me about, that I'm a, I'm a very observant, you know, like a person that uh, doesn't speak fast about things and watches things. So that's, elders always say that's good quality to, to have, you know, because you got to watch and see what things are. So you know what's happening before you open your mouth, you know, you don't just fly off the handle for nothing. So did,
2: you, did your dad survive residential school?
0: My dad was never, he went to uh, the, what they call day schools. So that's another whole nother thing uh, where I went for a visit back home in Ontario in June, when they opened up in their stage one and um, found out that my dad's been struggling to do this um, application uh, for there's they're doing payouts for that too right and it's not my dad doesn't really give a shit about the money but he's uh he's trying to fill that out and and it's and bringing up a lot of stuff for him and um we were able to <laughs> blew me away we were sitting at the kitchen the kitchen table we finished a meal and uh and my 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 fiance is uh german from here like she grew up in redcliffe uh german descent and um she And two, were sitting at the table and, and my dad ended up, you know, crying and, and bringing up some stuff and, in our conversation. And I've never seen, you know, I've never seen my dad be that open with, you know, with crying and stuff. and, um, But it was about that, you know, he's doing that application and it's bringing up a lot of things. And he shared a couple of things that were probably as bad as residential school. You know, he remembers being really upset that one of his friends, It was good close friends, which is a a cousin from the reserve. um, Having to kneel in the corner (laughs) for the whole day. You know, so a little kid having to kneel in the corner for the whole day. Like my dad was like, what is that? What kind of sense does that make? Right. Because he said something or did something that they didn't like. Right. Like, so they were still continuing to do that in the school that was put on the reserve so the, it wasn't a residential school they didn't have to go live there but he went to that day school and they continued those atrocities right on the reserves you know there wasn't there probably wasn't as much you know uh sexual abuse i would i don't know but i, I have no right. idea. but there was still those kind of bad and brutal things like who would make somebody stand kneel on the corner for a whole day right like
1: well and the other thing is is that like you talk about how when you were growing up your dad was essentially colonizing you right mm-hmm. and unknowingly right and so so like if you want to talk about what the goal was or like what what that proves is like the the goal of the residential school was to make it so that they didn't have to continue to whiteify uh indigenous like indigenous folks for the rest of time we would whiteify everybody now and then they can just continue to whiteify each other as as like the culture will be gone like that was that's proof that the idea was to to eradicate Mm -hmm. the culture entirely so that uh you're passing it on to each other without knowledge but what i find so Fucking awesome and fascinating about talking to you is that you're also you personally are also proof that that's an impossible task and colonizers (laughs) should that's a that's been proven time and time again in history of this planet with colonization is that you cannot eradicate someone's true self you cannot eradicate who they are and where they came from and their heritage and their culture no matter how hard you try three generations later A guy, a a kid's going to get, be born. Who's going to grow up thinking this isn't right. Yeah. And he's going to spend the last half of his life fixing that like you're doing. So I find that great. Now I want to, I don't want, we have to obviously think about time on the show here. So I want to move forward, but we, I want to talk sort of in a positive aspect, I guess, about the last 15 years, because this decolonization process that you've gone through, um, it must have been, it must be a, an amazing experience to have gone through can you just start quickly tell us how, why you even started the process like how it came about uh all of those things and then yeah
0: all right um so i st- i i stopped drinking and, and well i almost had to die to stop drinking you know stop drinking and using i i was i was almost uh i was skin and bones barely eating you know all that kind of stuff Uh, and i stopped i managed to stop and um uh through going to treatment and stuff so so about a year i would say yeah about about a year afterwards i started really noticing i was i was i don't like to say dreaming but i was seeing in my mind uh, day or night because i don't remember i still don't remember much of my dreams and, and and then that was um I used to get nightmares when I was a kid but I loved them back when I was a kid because I loved uh watching horror movies so then the nightmares were just as good you know I was like yeah this is awesome but I don't remember probably around the time I started drinking I don't remember anything after that you know for dreams and then I have sleep apnea too now that I found out later uh but um I, asked him, I also asked an elder, why do, why do I not remember my dreams? And he said, there's reasons for that. And he says, it'll, it'll come to you and, and you, you're probably still dreaming. And, and some of our beliefs are there's a dreamscape where you can travel and you can go different places in, in this dreamscape. So anyways, but I'm not remembering them. And he says, you will when you, when you're meant to. So that's basically what I was told. By this elder, because I was really concerned, like, I always hear people talking about, oh, they dreamt about this and they go and do it, right? Like, uh, about ceremony or whatever. Now, putting that all aside, this, this vision that I was seeing in my mind was of me dancing, uh, facing this tree. So it was one tree, and I was dancing, holding something in both hands, like, like a stick in each hand. And I didn't know what it was, but I kept seeing myself, and I, and I was seeing the tree and my hands, like, and and I'm dancing. I could feel like that I was dancing. And for me, that was like, what, what is this, you know? So it was probably a month or maybe more that I was seeing that. And it might've been longer, I don't know. That's just when I started to notice it. So I was about a year sober, and I asked one of my friends uh, who was who the most authentic, you know, looking Indian that I knew, and I was I assumed he did ceremony. Um, He had these tattoos on his ears of the medicine wheel. So it was really cool. You know, like I was like, I'm gonna ask this guy, you know, so I finally get up enough guts, because my my self esteem is not, you know, the highest yet, working on it in my personal life. And uh, because alcohol did that for me, right? Like, I was Superman when I was drinking, but When I wasn't drinking, I was, you know, insecure, all those things. So anyways, uh, I asked this guy and and he laughs. (laughs) He laughs like a big belly laugh at me. eh? And I was like, what are you laughing for? You know, I just asked you, you know, this is hard for me to do. Ask you this. He says, no, I'm laughing because he says you're being called the ceremony. He says, that's all. That's it. I was like, what do you mean? So then the hair on the back of my neck stood up. eh? And I was like, what do you mean I'm being called the ceremony? I'm driving my vehicle. We were going out to the reserves to get some cigarettes. And... Um, he he goes yeah he says you're being called what you just described to me he says is is sun dancing and he's like I'm a sun dancer so I was like whoa you know like the hair in the back of my neck is still standing up eh? because I'm feeling like holy crap you know this is this is like blowing my mind that the one person I decided to share this with is a sun dancer he goes ah he says don't worry ah it's no big deal he says I'll help you get ready he says you'll come So then I'm like terrified right so I'm like right away all this fear comes up for me and I'm like what do you mean he goes well you're being called a ceremony you need to go I was like well what is what is what does this entail you know tell me about this and he's like oh he says no big deal he says it's the most difficult ceremony that we have as uh indigenous people and um I was like so it's no big deal right and you're telling me that's the most difficult ceremony we have he says, well, he says, you're uh, uh with no food, no water for four days. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he says, yeah, "And and but he says, you're already doing that, right? You're not, you stop drinking, you know, you stop uh, drugs, right? And hopefully you stop womanizing, you know, and I said, well, I'm working on that one, you know, and so then he's like, uh, he's like, well, he says, so you're walking, you're starting to walk that good path. And I said, yeah, I guess so. And. He says, you're being called because, and he says, what you're seeing is your future. The ancestors are showing, the spirits are showing you your future. So you're supposed to go. So he says. so he basically, and I was like, what? you know, this is blowing my fucking mind. Right. So I'm like, so then I was like, okay. He says, well, come up to the singing. He says, and you can decide from there. So it's uh, they have four ceremonies, preparation ceremonies before each Sundance every year. So, in in January, February, they have a couple, and then they have a, another one around April, May, and it goes by with the 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 moons, and so the elders decide when those happen. And uh, then there's one right the night before the Sundance starts, so you have four preparation ceremonies. They call them singings. He goes, "Come to the singing," he says, and we'll. You can decide from there," he says. "We'll bring your, we'll bring some cloth and some tobacco, and and, uh, and you can offer it if you feel like you, you need to." So, uh, so we went, and the Sundance chief, my Sundance chief, uh, I had met him in my drinking in my drinking days. The one of the the girlfriends I had at the time had um, little boys and one and a daughter that danced in like palo so she uh, we drove down to aquasasnee new york or uh, on the island between uh, cornwall and cornwall in new york on aquasasnee island and we went to the palo and they competed on the way back we hit a moose in Petawawa. so we were stuck stranded on the side of the road the, the window was smashed like the moose didn't come right in but the hind the hind quarters like the back end of the moose ended up hitting on the passenger side, smashed the window. We couldn't go anywhere. The police wouldn't let us drive it off. the. You know, it got towed. So this is three hours from home. And, uh, this guy pulls up behind him. it's The, the, he was the announcer. He was the MC at that power. He goes, Oh, he says, you're that little fancy dancer. He was telling that my, uh, my, my girlfriend, boy. eh, And, um, so then this is the guy, right? Like, So he, that's when I met him way back then. And he gave us a ride from there all the way to North Bay, which was three hours. And then we were 20 minutes further. So we just had to arrange a ride to pick us up in North Bay. Big, huge help, you know, like, (laughs) and that's when I had met him, like years, a couple of years before. So then I see him there and I walk in, I'm just like the hair in the back of my neck, standing up again. And he's laughing eh? as I'm walking up, he's smiling and he's laughing. He's like, I jumped about you the other night. So I sit down, I sit down and uh, he goes, you're you're supposed to be here. He says that I dreamt about you. He says, you're going to be great. You're going to be fine. He says, tell me why you want to dance. So I was like, what, you know, this is all blowing my mind. Right. So I, I give him my tobacco and my cloth and, and I tell him I want to dance for my sobriety, you know, for my, my daughters. I haven't been there for a lot of their life because of my, uh, my uh addictions and, and and carrying on and and my communities you know like my communities are suffering both in my mom's community and my dad's you know like we're're we're, we're stuck in you know this abuse circle right like so sexual abuse you know physical abuse all this stuff happening along with alcoholism and all kinds of mess right like so he says well that's exactly why we're all dancing he says so yeah he says, one says and some people have cancer stuff like that they want to dance for and or cancer in their family so uh yeah I was right there I was like I'm supposed to be here so then the first year I danced uh I did it like on my tippy toes you know like I was just floating on air and um everything they told me to do I did you know so I prayed hard so I actually didn't have that hard of a time in the first year I did it like on on the tips of my toes like I said hopping and you know like dancing real hard and. Um, there's a lot of suffering that you go through, but I did it. Um, without very much issue because I was so wanting and and it, and it felt like everything came together like I was supposed to be there right. And then, so I did the other the three more we have to you have to uh, commit for 40 years so. And when you complete that, then you completed your Sundance, right? So uh, it's a contract that you make with the creator. And that's what he explained to me at that first meeting. He says, you, you, this is not, you know, you're not giving this to me to uh, pledge to me. He says, "It's you and the creator, you know, uh, you're pledging to the creator that you're going to do this for your community and for whatever you want to do it for. And um, he says, you, when you're a Sundancer, you have to take a different. You have to look at things in a different way. He says, you have to look at it. You're you're now becoming, or you're you're meant to always be. But he says, now you're walking into that warrior role that you're supposed to be in. So he says, now you're going to look after the communities. And whenever there's a feast going on, you eat last in case there's not enough food. Um, Anytime somebody needs help, you need to help them. You know, like you see somebody suffering, you need to help them. You need to help them up, you know, those kind of things. And, and you just have to keep yourself uh, at a higher standard than you ever have. Right. Like, so you have to make sure that you're walking in a good way. So you're not hurting people. You're not, you know, you have to, you have to turn away from all those things you did in your past. He says it's going to be hard. He says, but that's part of what we need to do.
1: Does so temp- I, do you have temptation Fighting you along the way, the same, like, uh, you know, I think about, uh, you know, habits, addictions, things like that, that I've walked away from in my life. uh, And they just grip you, like the temptation grips you. But you also talked about how, like, sort of the spirituality of it really helps you get through it um do do those two things fight ever do do you ever does the temptation of alcoholism ever battle with the spirituality of it or or is it do you find that walking the right way is a lot easier than maybe it could be for others
0: well it, it that's uh that was the key for me um was was to get into that spiritual stuff so that connection for me to my identity to my cultural um, ceremonies, to my uh, basically Indigenous way of being. So going back to those roots is what really grounds me. And and some people, you know, I, I have nothing against the churches now. I had a huge hate before, but um, my grandmother was able to forgive them, right? That's what helped me to get past that hatred I had for the Catholic Church. And the reason... I came to a realization right around that time when I started going to ceremony that um, my grandmother forgave them because they're not gods. Right. They're only human beings just like elders and, and, and our way of life, you know, elders have, you know, temptation, you know, they make mistakes just like any of us, because we're all human beings. We're here while well, we're, we're not human beings only, <laughs> Uh, I look at things now in a different way. Um, When I came out of ceremony after the first year, I had different eyes on, you know, I had different eyes. I came out with different eyes. So I look at creation as all um, part of, you know, it's all necessary. So even mosquitoes are necessary. So I I don't like to swat mosquitoes. I let them, you know, I let them bite and I try and, you know, blow them or disturb them some way to get them off. And in in that, I thought, well, in, in ceremony, we're not supposed to swat them. We don't have insect repellent. We don't have any of those things, and we sleep under the stars. So imagine, you know, a million mosquitoes biting you at the same time. <laughs> I had to let that. And and what my friend told me though, and that helped, you know, sponsored sponsored me to help me get going in the ceremony. He said, "You got to learn to love them." I was like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> But there's a point you get to where you can swat all night. And that's what he told me. He says you can swat all night and squish them all night. He says, there's never going to be an end to them. So do you want rest or do you want to swat them all night? And then after the first night, halfway through the night, I I finally gave up. And I said, I got to just let them bite. So I did. And then what I found out in that is they don't even itch very much if you let them leave if you swat them and the and the stingers in there it's itch it itches 10 times worse so i always tell that to my kids eh? i always tell that to my kids now if you let them if you let them bite and or blow at them or something get them to get off of you without squishing them it won't itch as much right so but (laughs) it's hard to get it's hard to be there it's hard to go back to that too you have to get to a certain point of giving up right like so that's there's a lot of uh, learning in that like all of our ceremonies have a point they bring you to a point where you have to give up you have to surrender right so um the temptation is there periodically for different things like i have i have all kinds of you know uh, addictions that i was involved in before um the temptation does show up for me but as long as I'm, as long as I'm doing these things, so I remember to smudge. I remember to, you know, ask creation, you know, to help me out in my daily life. I do my ceremony in the morning. You know, I don't do it every single morning, but because I'm not perfect, you know, I'm not, <laughs> not a perfect being yet. <laughs> but uh, we're spiritual beings, and we're experiencing this this physical world, right? So this meat sack that I'm connected to. Is actually the way of experiencing this physical realm so we're not just human beings you know we're spiritual beings connected to this human this human body so i look at things in a very different way than i used to and um and then sitting on the land and and doing my vision like they call them vision quests or uh, or fasts uh, is a way that one of my elders told me that's one of the quickest ways you can decolonize. Because then you get to witness creation, you witness Mother Earth, you wish witness all of the beaut- beauties of creation over those four days sitting on the land. That's how we learned things when we were before colonization. So we would go for our first fast right around the time where we were going through puberty, right? So, and then you fast, you used to fast every season. So every season they would do a fast, you know, and they would have people looking out for them, right? Like you'd have a sacred fire going, they'd have a number of people out fasting and then they'd have elders that would take care of them and they'd go talk to them periodically. Like when I first went through my first fast, um, aside from the Sundance, uh, I went out and sat on up on a hill and the the elder that put us out Come and walk up that hill every day, and he come and talk to us and ask us how you're we doing. And um, you you don't have to do that every day, but uh, sometimes they might have come like the third day just to see how you're doing. And you don't have to stay for all four days. If you get in your first day, what you what you like, if you get the feeling that you you're only supposed to be there for one day, you can get up and come back down. It's up to you and creation, right? So you might have got the teachings you were supposed to get in that first day. Or you could you could go the four days. Traditionally, before we used to go four days every season. So I'm learning all kinds of still continuously learning. I'm learning that those four days of fasting every season is probably one major way that i kept our people kept away from cancer they say that cancer cells cannot feed on anything but sugar so i thought if we're fasting for four days those cancer cells are all going to be gone and they say they can only live about 24 hours without sugar that's I—I i don't know if that's a fact but i've heard that um
1: it's working clearly jeremy you had something to say before i wanted to make yeah,
2: sure you but... how do you fast for four days
1: jeremy's like i gotta figure this out
2: yeah like i i i come from jewish background so you know and i i um you know not particularly observant but we would fast on uh you know you're supposed to fast on uh on on yom kippur the 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 day of atonement for one day
0: Yeah. yeah
2: and it's hard hard. like (laughs) how do you do it for four days like is it like a a a day fast or is it just completely like abstaining from food and drink for four days
0: completely abstaining from food and drink for four days how (laughs) you just you just uh you you pray you sit there and you pray on you know you you're there in creation so um when they set it up you uh, the actual traditional way you would build your own little uh Uh, lean to kind of thing you know to protect yourself from the the elements as much as you can but you want to be in the elements so what being a modern you know Indian or a modern indigenous person I brought a tent he said that's fine you can make your own or you can you can bring a tent whatever and so I brought a tent and I was really happy I did because it rained my whole four days and I was just like my drum I brought my drum and it was flat you know it's like (coughs) boom I couldn't even couldn't even sing because it was so wet and uh, humid. And um, you, but you set that up, and you and you put a ring of uh, tobacco or cedar around you, that protects you from uh, from anything that you know negative that might want to come after you. Um, people get really you when you sit out on the land, uh, even for one night. The Biggest burliest men face some of their fears. You know, um, I had a, a guy that was in uh, the same fast as me. Left after the first night, and he's an army. He's an army guy.
1: <laughs> so it just uh, and- it was a lot to take in. I'm just picturing Jeremy or myself in this four day fast, and it starts to rain, and you just like lean your head back, open your mouth. What? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not cheating. Yeah, what are you talking yeah. about i'm just yeah. just opening my mind to the spirits of the sky yeah
0: yeah well,
2: nature
1: and we all tried
0: to do that in sundance you know like and and the uh the elders just told us you know it's up to you and how how committed you want to be and that, i was like well i'm committed i'm not you know i'm not so we have a eagle whistle that we blow in a lot of people were pointing their whistle up, and they were dancing they're in the rain. Catching some water. And they're catching some water, but you're blowing out. So you imagine there's not much water coming down the whistle because every you're going like. Psh,
2: sure. Psh.
0: So it's like, but I was like a lot of the you know young fellows or whatever are like yeah, uh, yeah. You know, but you 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 absorb it anyways. Sure. So after after you know a day dancing in the rain, you don't want rain anymore. I would I would probably take sun over rain because you're like pruned everything's soaked but you and you have to keep on going or else you get cold so like a lot of us started blowing our whistles to get them to start drumming again because we were too cold like you sit there and you're like you start shivering and so then you, you blow your whistle and they start they have to start drumming once you blow your whistles eh? so they they're like guys, stop blowing your whistles. You guys get some rest. And we're all like, we're really
1: cold. No, you're going to have to drum for a bit more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But then
0: you can't keep that going all the time, right? But, uh, yeah, rain is not nice to dance. But anyways, uh, yeah. So that's uh, when you said that, like, we'd be like, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm not the only one who thinks (laughs) that way. That's good. Oh, no,
0: we all... Well, you got to go through and, and, and you got to go through all those thoughts, you know, like, like, like you were asking, how do you do it for four days? Well, you did the hardest one. You did the day, right? You did the day. That's the hardest one.
2: It when just I gets do...
1: easier, Jeremy, after day, yeah. after
0: that first day. Yeah,
2: I guess it's like, like, uh... it, it is,
0: it is. And then actually what, what starts to happen is your body's like reveling in it because after one day, you're, um, full 24 hours autophagy kicks in so I don't know if you know much about autophagy autophagy is when your cells uh, regenerate so it eats your body starts eating the old cells up absorbing them and then builds new ones so your body's like yeah just starting to get all this you get clarity of mind so that fog goes away Um, you, you might have a little bit of headaches if you drink a lot of coffee and stuff like that but as you get into that second day, it's gonna get easier and easier. You just have to, you have to limit your, uh, when you start getting past the second day, because I, I fast here, like I usually do a three fast, a three day fast every month kind of, try to. <laughs> um, I'm on keto and intermittent fasting as well, which I found out was closest to our original diet uh, before colonization. So I reversed my type two diabetes. So there's a lot of things, that I'm finding benefits in, in our way of life that, uh, I suffered in, you know, for a long time. So I didn't get diabetes type two. I didn't get diagnosed until I moved here. So I was like, it was like 26, 15, 16. So just right around the time I moved here, I was diagnosed about a year in, I, I still couldn't keep my blood sugar down, uh, to where I wanted it to, because I'm like a bit of a perfectionist. So I wanted it at five or six where it was supposed to be. Right. <laughs> and I couldn't get it below seven. No matter what I tried, I was exercising. I was eating, you know, brown bread, stuff like that. And my cousin back home uh, was on keto and reversed his diet type two. He says, I want you to try it too. So I was like, well, Hey, I'm willing. Got on the keto. And, and then he said that he shared that with me. So it was the closest to what we used to do because Pemmican was made of 50% fat, 50% meat. And then then sometimes they put a little bit of berries, dried berries and stuff in it. So that's what we, that was our staple, like as we're traveling, right? Because it doesn't go bad, pemmican. So you could keep that up to two years, you know, and it's meat and fat and, you know, kind of a meat roll up, I used to call it, you know, because they would put it flat. And then you, after you pulverize the meat and like dry meat, then you would mix that with uh, fat. So it's 50% fat and meat. So that's really close to the keto diet, right? Like our paleo, I don't know much about paleo, but so anyways, finding that out and trying it it took me about three months and I had to stop taking my metformin because I was on bang on five for my blood sugar levels. And I was like, man, this is awesome. The clarity of mind comes back because our, our bodies are made so that if we're in starvation, like if we're starting to starve, so if we go a couple of days, right, with no food, our clarity of mind is there for a reason because we're going we're gonna to hunt. So we need to be sharp to hunt, right? So that it's creation. It's, it's all part, you know, it's done on purpose. <laughs> so we're not supposed to eat three meals a day. We're not supposed to eat, you know, constantly the way we do. That's what's keeping us sick. I mean, I'm, all part of it. all, I'm all finding out all this stuff full like,
1: of toxins over here
2: yeah let's do it
1: like, <laughs> I, 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 I was like i'm just sicked, but i'm like jesus like think about the stuff i put in my body i'm like just a walking toxic dump right now and i'm yeah. i'm like i actually feel fairly healthy like i don't <laughs> yeah maybe it's well, just it's i'm not, used to feeling like shit yeah and it's
0: not it's not everyone like uh because they actually had and i think in Europe, they actually had wheat and stuff before. We didn't have that here. So our, my traditional diet was like, you know, 50% fat, 50% meat. We always kept everything like the bone marrow, all the fat from the animals. Like every ceremony that I've been to, there's always a, uh, a container of fat, uh, animal fat. So it's either bear fat or, you know, like, um, it could be moose or, or deer. And they and they give that as part of the the uh, feast. They give you a little bit of a little bit of fat. So I used to wonder when I first got involved in ceremony why you know why are they giving? But then I remembered my grandfather. I don't know if he went to residential school, but it was my grandmother's husband. So, um, she went. I know for sure she went, but I never knew. My grandfather passed away at sixty four. I think with emphysema. So he smoked all his life and uh he was a heavy drinker too but uh and anyways uh but i remember he saved every bit of bacon grease <laughs> so when you think back far enough they they saved all the grease you know they saved the fat they saved the you know the the bacon grease that, or before bacon before we didn't have pigs before so traditionally when you talk to any of the uh when i have talked to any of the crees from up north in ontario all that um, they would cook goose, they would keep all the grease, they would keep all the goose fat, you know. And to me, it's too rich. And it, I don't know, it doesn't agree with me, but probably because I'm an eagle clan, so you're not supposed to eat birds, right? Like as much. So, and a goose is very close to the same feathers as an eagle. Like, goose is what they use to make regalia for the little ones, so until they learn how to take care of the properly take care of feathers. They make the regalia out of goose feathers because they're they're not as, you know, they're not as sacred. Like a eagle feather is a very, very sacred item for us. And the goose feather is, is still a you know a sacred thing, but it's not as, you know, you can make the the kids regalia out of it and not worry about
1: it, right? Like,
0: right so i hate
1: (laughs) this is gonna there are people that are going to be listening to this episode that are gonna be so mad at me right now but in the interest of time we have to kind of wrap up here soon uh jeremy do you have uh any specific questions for our our friend
2: no i I, I get out of here uh, yeah Uh, i think we covered a lot of ground
1: i think it's Um, i think i want to bring him back because there's more yeah there's more things i wanted to talk about today but i when I was talking to you, uh, the first time we met David, I I knew this is exactly how this was going to (laughs) go that we'd get to about an hour and a half in and be like, well, we got about halfway through the things I wanted to talk about today. But so, uh, if you don't mind us reserving you to come back, uh, again, down the road here and, uh, we'll get into some more things, but, um, from our standpoint, like it, it was a pleasure to just uh, get to know you some and uh, allow our listeners the chance to hear some of your story because um, mm-hmm. like I said the first time I heard it it was like a super fascinating and just really uh, eye-opening I guess and, and, and that's part of the things I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to but um, yeah. my own colonized life growing up right like the 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 environment that I grew up in in regina saskatchewan was an extremely racist environment that people Mm -hmm. didn't even know they were or certainly didn't think they were racist and were racist and that's the environment i grew up in i sure not
2: sorry not always how it goes of course like i'm not racist but i'm gonna say this really racist. but
1: this these are the kinds of things i'd love to bring you back to talk about right because um Uh, some of my own journey too, for not at all to make it about me, but like, we really like, if you grow as a white person growing up in the prairies, I mean, you grew up racist, whether you Mm -hmm. thought you did or not. And you had to make a decision in your life to, to leave Mm -hmm. that shit behind and really like understand where that stuff came from. And it was, uh, you know, like a lot of probably people in their mid forties, who even have done it. I'm ashamed as to how late in life I really started to think about those kinds of things. And so Mm -hmm. again, please come back and let us talk more in depth about that stuff one day.
0: For sure. And we can jump right into that next time, you know, like we can start right there. Of course Uh, we've done um, part
1: ones and twos with guests before. So we'll do this again for sure, because honestly it's, it's a real pleasure to talk to you, and uh, and uh, we'd love to learn more from you. And we didn't even get into the knowledge keeper <laughs> stuff because that's another thing that we have to talk about is uh, uh, you becoming a knowledge keeper and things like that. So our apologies for not having three hours to go today, but no, um, no worries. Yeah, well, for being you a too. good speaker listeners
0: listeners as well uh it's hard you know it's hard to sit longer than you know the butt can take
1: right that's right (laughs) yeah we're
2: not we're not joe rogan we don't yeah yeah that's
1: right we don't go for three hours yeah (laughs) well listen my friend like i said pleasure to have you thank you so much for being here and uh we'll we'll chat again and we'll we'll bring you back and we'll do more uh, it's the time in the show where we like to thank those of our patrons who go way above and beyond anything we could ever hope for to Dave Bond Miller to Chris Sterwold, to Nicola Dinicola, We are so happy to have you guys aboard to our other patrons and subscribers amazing what you guys do for us we couldn't even be here without you. Jeremy, it's good to see you. I'm so pumped. I'm actually going to see you in person in like a week or two, unless Couple maybe weeks. like coming to Medicine Hat becomes like literally the stupidest thing on earth, which it might already already. Be. I mean, I, I, I'm still going to come.
2: Be. It's just whether I'm confined to your house.
1: Yeah, well, we'll, or... we'll quarantine at my house. And like uh, ever since this spike happened again, I've been um, yeah, I'm nowhere near other people. So we're, we're going to be safe. So anyways, I'm right. looking forward to seeing you. Mr. Raspool, thank you so much for being here. And thanks. uh
2: thanks for having me. Yeah, I learned a lot today and I uh I appreciate your uh generosity with your time. Absolutely. Mm. All right, well,
0: you guys. Jimmy is uh, how we say it in Ojibwe. Big thank you, Jimmy
1: Thank you to you, too. appreciate that listeners we'll see you guys next week more mo sorry we gave you a long one but you'll be fine all right take care you guys we'll see you next week
2: bye-bye see
1: ya